0: Well, if you've got your Bibles, turn me to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. I want to I use the next few moments that I have this morning and talk about a real familiar portion of Scripture to you this morning. And uh, if it's okay, don't put that title up right yet, guys. Wait, let's read the Scripture first, and, uh, and then we'll put the title up. In Mark chapter 11, look with me at verse number 15. Mark chapter 11, verse number 15. Scripture says, So they came to Jerusalem, and then Jesus went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple. He overturned the tables of the money changers and of the seats and of those who sold doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry wares through the temple, or merchandise, if you will. Verse 17 says, Then he taught, saying to them, Is it not written... My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves. My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. We look at this scripture many times and we we, we talk about it, about how mad Jesus got, how angry Jesus got when he went into the temple that day. He overturned the money changer's table and all of those kind of things, but but I want to ask you another question. This is the title of my message this morning. Was Jesus really having a bad day? Was he really having a bad day? Now, every one of us understands what I'm talking about. We all have bad days, do we not? There's some days that we just don't want to get out and face life. Can I get just a little more monitor? Just, just a little bit, brother, Brother Scott. We all have those days where we feel like that we just really don't want to face people. How many, how many of you have ever been to the place, and you don't have to raise your hands if you don't want to, but I'll, I'll go ahead and raise mine, but how many of have ever, ever been to the place where you've messed with people so much in a given day that you say, I don't want to deal with people no more, no more. i just let me get off by myself somewhere. I just got to have some alone time. Jesus, you know, was, was coming into Jerusalem. He knew some of the things that he was going to be taking care of and some of the things that was going to be taken care of and was, was him. And we know that Jesus was a man of prayer. We know that, that his heart was, was, was about prayer. And that's really my first point this morning was that prayer is always at the heart of Jesus. And we want to talk a little bit about that. I want to give you a little little background on where we are and where Jesus was in Jerusalem at this time. If you look in Jerusalem, if you do a study of that city, there's a place called the Court of the Gentiles. This was a place that he was at. This was a place where all the money changers was at. This was a place where Passover was taking place, and they would come and exchange their money and their currency and all of these things. This is a walled, marble, paved area, that you will, sort of next to the south side of the temple. The length, they said, of three football fields and around was 250 yards wide. Josephus, who is an early church historian, says that during Passover in A.D. 65, that that no doubt there was probably up to a hundred, I mean up to two hundred and fifty thousand plus lambs that was offered during the Passover time of this season. Every lamb that was sacrificed was offered by no less than ten people. If you do the math on that, you'll understand that, that in that day. There was probably around two million, over two million people that was, that was involved in Jerusalem of, of that day, of coming to Passover, coming to exchange, coming to bring their lambs, coming to make sacrifice and all of that. It was, it was at this temple. The same place, this temple, that was part of the temple called the royal porch, which sat up on the side of Solomon's original temple. That King Solomon, you remember, prayed his prayer of dedication and prayed his prayer. And the Bible says the glory of the Lord filled the temple. It was here that the priest could not enter. And all Israel knelt on the pavement beside and outside because they saw the fire of glory descend upon the temple. That was the same place where all of this was going on. This site had been holy ground ever since for thousands and thousands of years. When you look back in 2nd Chronicles chapter 7 verse 1 you'll see the dedication of the temple where it says in Solomon, when Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priests could not enter the temple, the Bible said, because the glory of the Lord filled the temple. When the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground and they worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord saying, he is good and his love endures forever. He is good and his love endures forever. It was at this same site, 750 years earlier, that Isaiah caught a glimpse of a vision of the sovereign Lord who was majestically enthroned above him with a train. The Bible says that his robe filled the temple. It was here that above the Lord was, was burning seraphims that hovered, beating the air with a set of wings, while covering their faces and feet with the other wings in a humble recognition that they were in perfect holiness. And Isaiah watched this vision. He heard them chant to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. You're talking about a place where God met His people many, many different occasions where things took place. Isaiah 6 and 1 says in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah said I saw the Lord. He was high and he was lifted up. He was exalted. He was seated on the throne and his train filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces and with two they covered their feet and with two they were flying. Get this picture in your mind. And they were calling out to one another and they were crying saying, Holy, 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 the whole earth is full of thy glory. Can I just do that for us this morning? Why don't we just all say that together? Holy, 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 the whole earth is full of thy glory in the midst of all the things that's going on even in America today. Holy, 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 the whole earth is full of thy glory in the midst of chaos that's going on around around our world, the fightings that's going on in Jerusalem and Palestine and all the places today, still God is sovereign. Still God is on his throne. Still God knows everything that's going on. Still God has you on the right hand. Still God has you in the center of his attention today. Hallelujah. He's God. Holy, holy, holy. The whole earth is full of his glory. These seraphims were chanting this and Isaiah tells us, he tells us that as this was going on, that, that the foundation of the temple, the foundation of the temple shook as the temple was filled with the smoke of God's presence. What an awesome sight. It had to be an awesome thing. It had to be an awesome experience. At the time of Solomon's prayer, at the time of Isaiah's vision, and every time the glory of the Lord filled the temple, Jesus was there. Understand that. And he was there as God. Now here he is as a man walking into this temple, walking into the same structure, the same place. And what does he find going on in this holy place? Chaos. People selling. People exchanging this holy site where all these wonderful things had taken place. This holy site was being used in an unholy way. Don't leave me now, church. I'm going somewhere. Don't leave me. It was being used in an unholy way. The attitude of the people had changed over the years. It was no longer a place where we would come and reverence Almighty God. It was no longer a place where they would come and invite his presence, where his smoke would fill the temple and the foundations would begin to shake. Hello. It was used to exchange funds and to buy animals that was defective when they took it to worship and to honor God. My Lord, this is not in my notes, but I wonder how many Sundays we come to the house of God and we bring him a defective worship. I wonder how many times we come and we sit on these pews and our worship is not pure. Our worship is not holy. We've got aught against our brother. We've got aught against our sister. We've got some things going on in our in our household that, that is not pleasing to God. And we bring our worship and everybody thinks we're worshiping Him but yet we offer Him a defective praise. Hmm. It's no wonder why Jesus came that day, Brother Rains, and he got a little angry. Got a little upset. The violence of this clearing the temple was so great that, matter of fact, John tells us and tells us that the disciples remembered when it said, Its zeal for your house will consume me zeal for your house will consume me it was with that same zeal that Jesus views the temple worship today only now he's not looking at the temple of Jerusalem he's looking at the church today only now he's not back there he's with us today he's looking at our church worship he's looking at you you are the temple of the living God 1 Corinthians 3 16 says don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst well if that's the case and God God is coming into my temple what does he find what does he find in my temple Matthew 18 and 20 says for where two or three are gathered in my name there I am with them amen. amen and thank God for that so why did zeal for the temple consume Jesus so much it could be a lot of reasons but let me give you a couple number one is this it was a place that God's glory was found It was a place that God's glory dwelt. It was a place that God's glory could be experienced in this place. John 17, 20 says, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, and I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Everybody say unity. Unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. What are you talking about, Pastor? This was the place that God's glory dwelt. Can I stop by a pathway long enough to let you know this? This place that we come into every Sunday or Sunday night or Wednesday night or revival service, whatever the case may be, this is the place that we've dedicated to worship God. This is the place that we've set aside to honor God. This is the place that we've set aside to come and experience The presence of a most high God Well pastor can I I feel God at home Oh yes you can Can I feel God in the the church Oh yes you can Can I feel God in my truck Oh yes you can But there's something special Corporately when we come together And begin to worship God Amen Amen. Nobody should have to Energize us To worship him Come on Nobody should have to come and sing a certain song that our worship may be good. Our worship needs to be of such that we—this is the audience up here. Come on, you're not the audience. You make up the choir. Hello, Sister Michelle, you got a big choir. You make up the choir. Jesus is the audience. And we sing to him and we worship him and we glorify him with the hopes and, and, and that his presence will fill our life and fill our church. Amen. It was a place that God's glory dwelt. The second thing is this: it was holy ground. It was holy ground. It was holy ground. That's why Jesus' zeal got, 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 got you know got it got him so stirred up. It was a holy ground, it was a holy sight. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says, But you, but you, look at your neighbor and say, You. But you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation of people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We have a mandate this morning, church. We have a mandate from the Savior to be people of prayer. We've got a mandate to, to seek him and to honor him and to talk to him every day. Amen. We've got a mandate from the Lord. His zeal for prayer in God's house is not just a zeal for worship. He's, been, he's had a zeal for prayer in our lives individually and corporately because he knows that prayer accomplishes much. Amen. Prayer is important. We can have the biggest building. Listen, we can have the hottest music. We can have the best programs. We can have the most awesome preaching, the greatest children's program, a cappuccino bar, and on and on we can go. We make it grow a church, but if we don't have God in that church, it's going to be nothing. If prayer's not going to be in that church, we don't have nothing but a crowd. Amen. Hello? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's the difference facing America today. We got a lot of things going on in America today, but is it of God? Is our, worship, is, it, is our worship authentic? Is our worship pure? When we come into the Lord's house, are we coming for the right reasons? Amen. It is the nature of our prayer life, listen, that defines who we are. It's the nature of our prayer life that defines who you are. How often do you pray? How often do you stand before the Lord? How often do you get alone with God and seek His face? The condition of the church may be very accurately gauged by the prayer meetings that the church has. But not only that, by who attends the prayer meetings. So is the prayer meeting here at Pathway. Those meetings that we have. from it, may, it, may, it just may be judged by the amount of divine working and people praying within the church. See if God is near a church it's going to be praying. If God's going to be near a church it's going to be praying. And if he's not going to be there. One of the first tokens of, of his absence will be a slothfulness of prayer. Charles Spurgeon said. A slackness of prayer. Amen. And so we know that prayer is the heart of God. Prayer wants us to, he wants us to pray. That's why he was coming to his temple to pray and to seek him. But other things was going on that day. The second thing I want you to notice is this. The Lord understood that prayer always produced unity. It always, it always produced unity. The spirit of prayer unites God's people like nothing else. It unites the people of God like nothing else. Acts 1 and 3, 1 and 1 says this, The former account I made, O Theopolis, that of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach until the day in which he was taken up after he through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he had presented himself after alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days of speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom. You've got to understand that the power or if corporate prayer is agreement or unity. In other words, it's one accord that you and I can have one accord with one another when we come together. The believers did not debate for a consensus of that day. The believers did not debate because the Scripture said they continued steadfastly. Fastly, They continue. They didn't debate for a consensus. They didn't debate if this was the right time or a wrong time. They just got together to seek God. They didn't debate if this was the right house or the wrong house. Let's just come together and worship Him. In corporate prayer, we do not seek a consensus of human ideas. We seek a consensus by the will of God and for the will of God. When we come together, yes, there's specific things that we may pray about. But Brother Reigns, we just want God's presence to fill our life there's certain things that we may lift up the lord to those that may be sick those that may be hurting our city our government whatever the case may be but all in all when it all comes at the bottom we just want the presence of god to fill our lives and to fill our hearts amen we need his presence we need his presence his presence can't come if you don't ask his presence can't show up if you don't ask him to come you come to knock on my door at the, front, at the front door at the house, there's one or two things that's going to take place, Brother Ralph. I'm either going to ask you to come in, or I'm just going to stand at the door talking with you. Right? Yes, sir. Same way in the spirit realm. God can come and he can knock, but we've got to allow him to come in. Lord, come on in. Come on in. So we knew that prayer always produced a unity. As Christians, we cannot ignore the fact that the first activity of the New Testament Christians, they were engaged in a corporate prayer meeting. Hallelujah. It began as a priority. And the Bible said it continued as a priority. I wonder where we are today with our priorities. I wonder where we are today. Is prayer important to you? Is prayer of importance to us as a church? It needs to be. It needs to be if it's not. Amen. When prayer is emphasized, an unusual unity develops among the fellowship. Barriers come down. The body of Christ is built up through prayer. Amen. I love it when we come together and pray. I don't know about you, but I always leave better than I came. Why? Because I've been with the master. I've been with the master. So, So God understood that prayer always produced a unity. The third thing is this. Prayer releases God's power. Say, Pastor, I thought you was talking about Jesus coming and getting angry. I am. Why do you think Jesus showed up at the temple? He come to worship. He came to... You go back and you do, you do a research in the New Testament, you'll find over and over that Jesus that Jesus went, went, went away many times by himself to get along with God and pray. Did he not? He took, he took time to get alone with God. He spent time in worship to the Lord. Amen. And so he wants you and I to do the same thing today. Prayer releases God's power. 2nd Chronicles 7:14 says, "If my people, you know the scripture, who are called by my name, if they'll humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I'll forgive their sin, and I will heal their land." Do you know that if you and I if we call upon the Lord, he has promised in his word to answer us. Amen. We call upon the Lord. He's promised to answer us. He's promised to answer us. Hallelujah. If we don't call upon the Lord, He has promised nothing. Listen to it. Nothing at all. The first church that we read about experienced an outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost during a prayer meeting in Acts chapter 2 verse 1 and 4. They experienced Holy Spirit at the Pentecost at a prayer meeting. They prayed over the prison release of Peter in Acts chapter 4 and John. And it was so. When they were commanded not to speak in the name of Jesus rather than lobbying the government or staging a protest, the Bible said they prayed. I just wonder what would happen if the Democrats and Republicans and the Libertarians and the Independents and whoever else they call themselves, instead of politicking, just come together and pray. I wonder what would change if we really listened to the voice of Almighty God. Hallelujah. The Bible says after they prayed, the place where they were meeting that was shaken. Shaken. It was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke with the Word of God. It tells us that once again, they were filled with the Spirit and they began to speak the Word of God boldly. That's just exactly, that's exactly what they got in trouble for in the first place. But they didn't pay no attention. They went on and prayed anyway. They prayed anyway. The apostles considered prayer to be their primary duty. It's important to them. Go back and look. Acts chapter 6 verse 4. When Ananias was commanded by God to go find Paul, he was told to go to the house of Judas uh, on a straight street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. For he is praying, the Bible says. That's where you'll find him. He's praying. Peter received a vision from God concerning the Gentiles' ability to become Christians while he was praying. All of these things took place and the list goes on and on and on we could talk about. From the day of Pentecost, understand, from the day of Pentecost, there has not been one great spiritual awakening or revival in the land that has not begun with a union of prayer prayer is the key prayer is the key I can give you all these 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 names of, of, of great evangelists gone by that's already passed and that, 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 that put in their in their uh, bio- autobiography that said even before weeks before we'd come into a place we would send people to pray for us that would saturate the place with prayer that would saturate the community with prayer and then they would come in what are you talking about pastor prayer is key to you and I's survival today in our in our, in our spirit realm amen Matter of fact, Dr. A.T. Pearson said this. He said from the day of Pentecost, there's not been one great spiritual awakening. He understood that. He understood that. He said that only one or two or three, no such outward upward movement has continued after prayer meetings declined. In other words, if you stop the prayer, you stop the flow. You stop the prayer, you're going to stop the flow. I don't know about you. I don't know about you, but I want to be an authentic follower of Christ. I want to be an authentic follower of Jesus Christ. One that prays, that seeks his guidance every day. Because I don't know about you, but I've got to have it. I need it in my life. Amen. I need it in my life. Jesus, they said on that day. Let me look, just to slow down a little bit and look at this picture. On that day, he was cleansing the temple. Because something was fundamentally wrong with the way worship was being facilitated. It was something that was wrong. He understood this was not Right? The way worship was being done. There was a need for a national repentance. Boy, we need that today, don't we? There was a need for a national repentance then. The temple was meant to be a place where the nations could gather to meet with God and receive forgiveness from their sin, where we are today. But the leaders, but the leaders were using the temple as a means for personal gain. None of us may be in that camp, but look, all of us have had wrong views before of the, uh, of the church. We've had wrong views of God. We've had wrong views of community. We have wrong views based upon any number of things on our upbringing, on our parental relationships, whatever the case may be, those views have been there. And we've had to change some things. But the good news is that God will always act. Hallelujah. He'll always act in ways to get our attention. He is always acting mercifully to expose our sinfulness, to expose our need for Him, to transform us, to spare us from the coming judgment. We need to see all of life, every little thing that happens as God's means to get our attention. You ever wondered why these things are happening to me? You ever wondered why these things are going on? Maybe God's trying to get your attention. Maybe God is trying to say something to you, try to get you acknowledged. You need to come back to me. You need to come back to me to awaken us up to our sin, our need for change. I can tell you right now that Jesus, Jesus is always graciously pointing out our sin. We may not like it, but he's always graciously doing that one way or another, either directly or indirectly using others. Maybe using different things. Maybe somebody said something is pointing out these things. Jesus, we know, as the rejected king, is confronting the religious leaders of that day and the whole nation because their faith had become warped around man, this man-centered religious system that they had drummed up. This is what we've got to do. This is what we've got to do. I mean, there was a lot of people there that day. There was a lot of things going on that day. Get this in your mind. I mean, there was up to over 2 million people in Jerusalem and around the area of that day. We know in Scripture that the Bible says Jesus wept over Jerusalem. He looked at the city and he wept. He wept over Jerusalem. He wept over their hard-heartedness. But now, this day, he declares his authority over the temple by cleansing the corruption of the nation. By cleansing the corruption. He is acting in a way that demands their attention. He was getting their attention. Look at this picture. Jesus. Jesus goes in the temple... The Bible talked about there's thousands of pilgrims. Josephus even talked about it in, in his book. Thought there's thousands of pilgrims coming to participate in this temple worship of that day. They've got to purchase animals in order to offer sacrifices. All the commotion that's going on. There were thousands of pilgrims and thousands of animals in the court of the Gentiles. Matter of fact, you can just envision a third world marketplace. Those of you that went to Honduras with us, you know what I'm talking about. That day that we used, we went to Tugusagapa, and we, we, we bought shoes and we bought clothes and we bought uh, uh, other things to take up back up the mountain. We went down on that street, uh, such as Sue where they were selling things and there's people everywhere. I got a little nervous to be honest with you. You wanted to make sure you stayed Close with the person in front of you, and somebody was behind you because you'd walking down narrow, narrow pathways, and there was people everywhere. And that's what I can see upon this day that Jesus was there. There's people that was everywhere to change and exchange all of these things. There are also money changers there because people would come all over with need of exchange their foreign currency to purchase animals with the local currency for the temple tax, because you could not use the pagan coins. You could not use pagan coins, so you had to exchange these. And and so you have this street market, if you will, and you've got this money changers all over the place, making it possible. Both were necessary. Both were acceptable services. But the problem was, when Jesus got angry about this inflated prices that they were using, they were selling doves and they were selling animals that were defective. They were not pure. They were not designed the way that the Lord told them to, to, to get them ready. All of them were charging at the approval of the religious leaders of that day. Everybody was on board, in other words. Everybody. Everybody was getting their piece of the pie. Uh-oh. Hmm. In other words, they were robbing God. But I want you to think about this. You may have not ever thought about this before. They were robbing God's people financially. But Brother Reigns, they were also robbing God's people spiritually by stealing the opportunity to know God. Inflated pride. I just wondered, out of all those mix of people, Sister Marilyn... How many was not able to exchange their money because they didn't have have enough money to buy because of the inflated prices or the defective animals? I just wonder how many people could not do what they came to do in the house of an almighty God. That's what Jesus got upset about. That's why Jesus got angry. And I wonder sometimes when we come into the house of God and we come through the front doors and we bring our worship and as Christian was portraying a while ago, Lord, just take me to the king. I want to be holy. I want to put everything else aside. I want to come before you. I want you to take me in your arms. But in order for me to do that, in order for you to do that, I've got to get rid of all this stuff that I have that's defective. I've got to get all rid of this stuff, Sister Mary, that's that's, that's that's keeping me away from what pure, authentic Christianity is all about and my relationship with the Lord. See, that's what Jesus got upset about. Ministry had become a means of personal gain. And I don't have time to talk to you about some things that I see on television just like you see. If you send me this, then I'll send you a bottle of oil. If you send me this, I'll give you some holy water. If you'll send me this, I've got a rock that I was in Israel and I picked up this rock. It's a holy rock. And on and on and on. We laugh about that, but I'll tell you, there's thousands and thousands and thousands of people that that do those things. And they think, that's God. And it's not God. It's not God. God desires for our worship to be authentic and pure as we stand before Him. Amen. And to give unto the Lord. And to honor Him. Ministry had become a means of personal gain. And there's a danger for anybody in ministry. And that is why there's seven or eight warnings related to those things in Scripture. Matter of fact, Titus 1 and 7 says, For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain. Amen. That's why I really believe. And it counts counts as me too. That when I stand before the Lord, the Lord's going to look at me a little different than he does you. Not that I'm any better. But he's called me to preach. He's called me to be an ambassador of his word. And if I don't live my life according to that book, I'm going to stand. I'm going to give an account for those things. Amen. Believe it however you want to. I'm going to give an account for those things. And I think back of all the, all the individuals that has, that has led people wrong that I know about. Now, Lord, Lord, I don't want to be them as they stand before you. I don't want to know what you have to say when that takes place. Help me to be right. Help me to be right. But here's another issue as we close. I, I, I want to deal with this morning. Another issue about the temple and how it relates to church and how it relates to buildings. Understand that the temple in the mind of the Jew, the temple of that day in the mind of the Jew, was the dwelling place of God. Now I want you to think about that just a little bit. That's where they come. That's where they found God. That's where God was. All right? Are, are, are you following me? Let me just draw it out where we are. You're here this morning. You're sitting, you're sitting down on the floor on the stage or off the stage we got folks sitting up in the balcony. We'll we'll, we'll count all of these the same. But up here, where this little black box is on the floor, let's just look at this. This is the place where God is. If you want to find God, you've got to come up here and you've got to stand on this little black box. And God's going to be there. That's how they felt that place, that temple was. That's where the dwelling place of God. Not that God was contained in a building. But it, it was a place of God's presence with the people. It was a place of the forgiveness of sins. We come in here, and this is the place that we've dedicated for God. But understand, it's nothing more than wood and sheetrock and paint and carpet and all of that stuff. It makes it nice, but, it's a, it, but but God's presence dwells in you. His presence dwells in you. The one who dwelt among us, who meditated, who mediated God's presence. Amen. The Bible says in John 1 and 14, the Word became what? Flesh. The Word became flesh and it dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, the glory as of the only Son up from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. Full of grace and truth. And as His people today, you, as His people, we now mediate His presence because He has given us His Spirit according to John chapter 14. We are the temple of the living God. He dwells with inside of us. Hallelujah. He dwells on the inside of us. You know what that means to me? That when I don't care where I'm at, when I need him, I just got to call his name. I don't have to to come to the church. This is going to rub some of you wrong here. But when I need him, I don't have to go to a certain pastor. When I need him, I don't have to go to somebody that I may have looked up with for for 15 or 20 years, even though there's, there's nothing wrong with any of those things. Understand that. But when I need him, all I've got to do is call on his name. All I've got to do is speak the name of Jesus, and he's there. All I've got to do is just cry out to him, and he's there. He's my father. He's my father. He's my father. You fathers, you know exactly what I'm talking about. When your child falls, most of the time you're going to run, and you're going to pick him back up because you don't want him to get hurt anymore. As an earthly father would do that, a spiritual father, how much more? How much more does he want to come pick you back up? Hallelujah. John 14 and 16 says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate or a comforter to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor does it know him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, the Bible said. Hallelujah. Because I will come to you. I will come to you, he said. We are God's people. We're His people. We're His people. And now we're the dwelling place of God. And we mediate His presence. Listen. We mediate His presence. We take His presence. We carry His presence wherever we go. Into the world, out here. When you leave today, you ought to carry God's presence with you. I pray to God that none of you come and, uh, you know, and, and pick up your, 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 uh, your presence of God when you come through the front door and leave it at the front door when you leave out. Uh -uh. I hope that's not the case. Because if that's the case, we're doing something wrong. We're carrying the presence of God with us everywhere that we go. Everywhere that we go. At the convenience store, at the Walmart store, at the restaurant. Wherever we go, we carry the presence of Almighty God. We carry His presence. You've heard me poke fun a little bit about about people pulling, me, pulling out in front of me on the, on, the, on the street, and all that kind of stuff, and, and it seems like every time I talk about that something else happens, and it does all the time something's always going to happen they 're just going to pull out and run you off the road, and, you, and and you know that flesh wants to take over, but in reality, listen to me there 's this guy i guess I, I, I guess I pulled in front of this guy the other day, I guess because when he came around me, he was showing me all kinds of signs and I really didn 't realize that i 'd done that, but apparently I did because. And I don't know that one of his signs was like this. It was doing some stuff like that, but it wasn't like this. You know know what I'm saying? And so we we have to we have to we have to the flesh sometimes wants to take over. But the Lord, I mean, when you really think about it, we take the presence of God everywhere that we go, everywhere that we go. And Jesus was coming in this temple. He was coming to worship, and and all these people were there that day, and they were they were they were they were doing uh, you know a defective uh, animals, and and their worship was not pure, and all of these things was going on. We're God's people, We're the dwelling place. So what, is that, what does it mean to us? What does it mean to us? First, it ought to mean that leadership must always live with the best interest of the body. Whether you believe it or not, you're leading somebody. You're leading somebody, either a good way or a bad way. God's family that's in mind, all of us that hold a position, even in a church, whether it's council members or Sunday school teachers or, or team leaders or worship leaders or youth leaders, whatever it may be, need to keep the best interest of the body and where God is taking us. Those guys that was there that day selling those animals and, and, and not offering God the worship, when Jesus came in there, they understood you ain't living right, you ain't doing right. You don't have the best interest of the body in mind, in other words. Now I'm going to take, take care of it. Leadership in God's grace to his church, to lead and care for it. Leadership is the God-ordained means by which he moves and by which he works and leads in the body of Jesus Christ. Leaders lead, care for the flock, fulfilling the mission of Almighty God, winning, training, whatever the case may be, sending, salvations. We don't exist to maintain our existence. We exist to fulfill the mission of Almighty God. We we exist to fulfill the mission of Almighty God. Can I tell you this? That maintenance is self-serving. Think about that. Maintenance is self-serving. It's centered around building of our own kingdom. We're not trying to build our kingdom. We're trying to build His kingdom. Mission is other-centered and centered around God's kingdom. That's what the Lord understood. That's what He was trying to teach. The second thing He did is this. It means that this building... This building that we're in is not the temple. It doesn't have a sacred meaning except what we've gave it biblically. It is used for our place of ministry as we've said already. It also means that we don't have to work ourselves up to make God come in. Boy, I got something to say right there, but I don't know that I need to. We just need to invite God's presence in. God's not deaf. He's not deaf. Now don't get me wrong. We're Pentecostal people. I love Pentecostal worship. I do. I love Pentecostal worship. I was raised to Pentecost. I'll die at Pentecost. I love Pentecostal worship, but I understand that my Pentecostal worship is not going to save me. Is that okay? I understand that my shout ain't going to save me. I understand that my speaking in tongues ain't going to save me. Pastor, you're stepping on some dangerous ground right now. Mm -mm. What's going to save me is our relationship with Christ. You may not agree with any of those things, and, that, and that's okay. We, we can talk about that, and we can debate that, and we can look in Scripture, and we can deal with some of those things. But look, I, I believe just like I hopefully you believe. My relationship with Christ, that's my salvation. That's, that's my love. That's where it first started. He died for me. He set me free. Amen. He didn't die for me so I could run around and shout all the time. Hello? He didn't die for me so I could lift my hands all the time, even though I enjoy all of those things. Don't get me wrong. He died for my salvation. He died for my sin. He died because he knew that one day Danny needed a Savior. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It means this building. We worship in this building and all of that, and he promises to be with us wherever we go, wherever we gather. But it also means that God's presence, and I want the musicians they will to come, it also means that God's presence is not limited to a location. It's not limited to a building. With the coming of the Lord, God's presence is no, is no longer linked to a place or a person. He's coming. He's coming after a church. And the last thing is this this morning, church. We, we look in this passage of Scripture, and, and, and we see in this passage that religious types don't like their sin exposed. Boy, they got mad at Jesus for what he did. They got upset with Jesus. Their response to this religious leader coming and attacking them, they, they wanted to attack him back and kill him. They was trying to kill this guy. When you look in chapter 20, it shows the different ways that they, that they sought to trip him up, to say things, get him to say things. Our sinful responses to life points out our own spiritual immaturity and need for transformation. Was Jesus really mad, you think, that day? I have said he was angry, but I don't know necessarily that he was mad as much as he was concerned about the welfare of the city, the welfare of the people, the worship of the people. And here's another thing that you may not have thought about before. Ralph, everywhere in Scripture that I read about a dove, it represents the Holy Spirit, does it not? The Holy Spirit. That's what it represents. Water is always... Flowing and the Holy Spirit and all of that dove represents the Holy Spirit when Jesus came and got baptized We'll talk a little bit about that tonight the heavens was opened up The dove came down As a sign as a reference of the Holy Spirit the voice of God This is my beloved son in whom i'm well pleased right there in that moment sister Lawson, you had the you had a beautiful picture of the Father the son and the Holy Spirit right there but have you ever thought that on that day when Jesus came into the temple and he looked and the doves was in a cage. Mm. And in his mind, he's thinking everywhere in Scripture that that this took place, this represents the Holy Spirit. That, That spirit, that third person of the Godhead that comes down and gives comfort to the people, they're trying to cage it now. And that didn't sit well with him. And he overturned the money changers. He opened up the doves' cages to let it out. Well, I'm telling you, sometimes I wonder, do we do we try to cage the Holy Spirit? Do we try to allow Him to work when we want Him to work? Do, do, do we want Him to move the way that He wants to move, or are we okay with how He wants to do things? And let Him... Say, Pastor, I... I don't agree with some things that goes on in church. I, I didn't say that. I'm just saying, are you willing to allow God to move the way that God wants to move? I'm not used to this. Not, it's all right. But are you willing to allow God able to give him room to do whatever he wants to do in your life? Whatever it is. Now, I may, I, this, this may not come out right, and I pray that it does, but I want to I just say something right here. I pray to God that when you're in this altar area, in this church, that nobody comes to you and forces anything upon you. I don't want that to happen. I don't want it to happen. I want them to lead you, to lead you into the presence of God. If they need to talk to you or or pray with you or whatever, that's okay. But you understand what I'm trying to say? Because I've been in Pentecostal circles before and they'll slap all over you. Now, I'm used to that. You're not going to bother me slapping all over me. But somebody that's not used to that, you're going to scare them. You're going to run them out. I wonder how many folks we've lost because people just don't use good common sense. If you want to slap on somebody, come over and slap me. I'll slap you back, but come on. We'll we'll slap each other. But look, let God move. Let God direct where God wants to direct Jesus looked at that day, Brother Rains, and he said, look there, this is wrong. You've turned my house into a den of thieves. This is supposed to be a place of worship. This is supposed to be a place where people can come from all over, bring their sacrifice, and get back to me. But yet you have changed it and turned it around. Was Jesus really having a bad day? I don't think so. He was just having... A day that he was trying to get his people back to the place where they needed to be. And I can submit to you this morning. I can submit to you that I believe with all of my heart that every time we come into this house, Jesus just wants his people to get back to the place where we need to be.